Welcome back to another Green Section podcast episode. I'm the host, Adam Miller. Brian Whitlark, who's an agronomist in the West region, joins me today. And he and I talked with Chris Ekstrom, uh, who's at Menlo Country Club, uh, located just outside the San Francisco Bay Area. Menlo, like a lot of golf courses in the West region, is really thinking a lot about water use and water availability in the future. And that was a, a primary driving factor in their decision to regrass their fairways to a hybrid Bermuda gas. So it was really neat to talk with Chris, learn more about the project and uh, the successes that they've had. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Chris, before we get started on the, the, the topic of hand with fairway regrassing, Menlo's, uh, it sounds like it's a really cool place. Give the listeners a little bit of background into, into Menlo and how long you've been there. Yeah, so um, Menlo Country Club was founded in 1904. Uh, it's located in Woodside, California, uh, which basically puts us halfway between San Francisco and San Jose on, on the peninsula here. Back in 2014, uh, we did a major renovation with Kyle Phillips of the golf course, basically uh, redesigned the entire uh entire golf course most recently just did a new clubhouse and fitness center um club also offer you know obviously offers golf but um uh, offers tennis and swimming as well nice so the the bay area i mean brian whitlark you're you're kind of from that area um it sounds like there's a bit of a debate between if this is northern california or central california i've heard that on a on a different podcast the fried egg guys uh, go, go back and forth. So I don't know if Brian, you want to weigh in on that, but, um, my experience there is pretty limited. (laughs) Yeah, there's no debate there. It's Northern California and it's giants and 49ers. And you know, that's where our allegiances lie. Come on. There's no debate about that. Okay. All right. Well, my time that I've spent out there, I I had, you know, the the fortune to work the women's open and we had our staff meeting out there actually somewhat close by. So, I've seen a little bit of uh, of what the Bay Area has to offer, and I was really surprised that I saw on one golf course, it was like six or seven different turf species all within a single fairway. So getting into the regrassing at Menlo, what, what grasses did you guys have on your fairways or maybe, you know, what grasses didn't you have? Whatever is an easier way to answer that question. Yeah. So when we, um, when they did the renovation in 2014, everything was grown in with perennial ryegrass. Um, and, and when I got here, they were pretty clean. I mean, there was, there's a little bit of poe in them. Uh, we really eradicated almost all of it. Um, so before this project, I mean, it was, it was pretty much perennial ryegrass. As Adam said, I grew up in the Bay area, played high school golf there, always played on poa, rye, bent grass, um, Bermuda grass was kind of seen as, well, I've heard it called devil grass in Northern California. I mean, people don't, uh, golfers just felt like that was an inferior grass. And you can kind of make that argument with common Bermuda grass. But but how did the club transition from cool season grass to, to Bermuda grass? How did, how did you ultimately make that decision? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I actually grew up in the Bay Area as well. The the old adage out here is it needed to be cool season. Everything needed to be. And um, 
kind of earlier on in my career after college, I worked at a lot of courses at Bermuda, whether it was in Southern California uh, and down in Mexico, and, and even played with it a little bit here in Northern California. It was from when I first took this job, I actually thought the weather was going to be more along the lines of the Olympic Club, Cow Club, where you're socked in in the, the fog. You know, it's what's cold. What do they say? The, the coldest winter is summer in, in San Francisco, right? Um, but after being here, you know, I, I don't know, three months, I'm going, you know, I'm just sitting here going, man, this is this is Bermuda country. I mean, we can pull this off. Um, and so I, you know, I was in a meeting and in the water committee at one point went, hey, you know, we just I visited a golf course down in the Monterey area where they did, they put the Santa Ana hybrid Bermuda in, right? Obviously talking about the preserve. And I just kind of went, guys, like, you know, I, I've got high confidence with Bermuda. I've been here long enough. We can pull off Santa Ana if that's something we want to look at. I'm, you're not going to get me on a soapbox in front of the membership and tell you we have to do this tomorrow, but I will walk you through the process and I can answer any of your questions. And, and that's really how the conversation started. Um, this was a water project, a water savings project. And so we did some studies and I did, they asked for some research. They, they um, kind of asked me to look at things in dormancy, how the color would work, you know, what, what would divot repair be like? Would it change winter conditions? Um, and so I, I did have uh, some experience of using Santa Ana in Southern California, um, played with it a little bit um, in the East Bay at a course I was at over there. So I had a, a good, um, had a really high confidence level with it, and I was able to kind of walk them through the process. Um, kind of where it went from there was the, the club president at the time came back and said, hey, I want you to make a presentation to the, the Greens Committee recommending a trial you know we we want we want to get our hands on it we want to get something here um and it's so i said okay well let's just do let's do a t like a par four t right it's something that if the membership doesn't like it it's a small area it's controllable we can get rid of it um and when we left that meeting the greens committee wanted to go in with both feet they wanted a par four entire hole they wanted to get their hands on it see how it functioned um it was a hole that had undulations, so we would see how balls would roll out during the dormancy period um, and, and things like that. So it, it, it things picked up very quickly after the, those first meetings. Um, very forward-thinking club, and, and, and they were very, very excited about it. So that was the sixth hole, right? Your sixth fairway. And how, a couple questions on, on building on that. How long did you have the trial in? And then secondly... Did you have some sort of um, membership response f format set up where they could weigh in on, you know, their their opinion of the playability, aesthetics of that hole during different times of the year? So we put that in in 2019, um, and basically um, the board put out a, a letter to the club saying. This is, you know, we have to look at the future here, right? And this is what we're going to do. And so it kind of took a little of the pressure off me. It wasn't that, hey, our superintendent said we had to do this. It was, hey, this is a board decision. We're looking for the future. We've got to try this out. Um, so we we got it in kind of in, in late 19 because there was a lot of Santa Ana projects going on. And we had to see if we could get an acre and a half of it available. Um, and so we kind of got the very end of the season. We got it in. Um 
and then we, you know, we, we turned the hole was down for about 28 days. Uh, we came in, blackavated it, got it in, grew it in in 21 days and gave it right back. Um, and initial feedback was that, um, you know, it didn't play as differently as, as people had thought. Um, I think people, there was kind of that stigma, like you had mentioned, that it's, you know, it's the devil grass or, or whatever. Um, those started to go away. I mean, I think people realized that it was playing very well. It just played differently than Rye. Um, and um, kind of the next phase after that is that we did our driving range renovation. And, and we went to the membership and said, you know, if we're going to renovate this driving range, we might as well do Santa Ana Bermuda here because there's no place that makes more sense to do it than on the driving range, right? So, so that that kind of came the next step, and that that happened in early 2020, I think. So 28 days is a pretty good turnaround. I mean, people, listeners would like to would like hearing that. It, it was fast. Yeah, I mean, we we were aggressive with it. We pushed it. So, a question on Santa Ana specifically. Now, <clears throat> again, I'll just isolate myself here in the in the northeast obviously not not hearing too much about santa Ana out here where all, all we see typically are the more cold tolerant bermudas the latitude you know the tahoma 31 um did you try anything else you know when you're in any of your tests aside from santa Ana? i mean from from my conversations with brian and a couple others it sounds like it's it's got a really good fit there based on its color retention and you know obviously been been around for a while so but did you try anything else um, so we actually didn't trial anything else on our property. We kind of listened to the membership and, and what they were looking for, you know, with, with winter retention, winter play. Um, I, I had, like I said, I had experience with it down in, in Southern California, really liked it down there. Um, so, you know, it's a, it was a, a grass that was bred in the state of California for use in the state of California. Right. Um, and so that was a real driver for why we went that route. Um, I did check trials at other clubs, uh, you know, Diablo and, and San Jose Country Club kind of come to mind. Um, and uh, bottom line was it was just the best fit for what we were looking for. And I guess also kind of talk to me a little bit about the, the ryegrass that, that you had before. I mean, you know, redoing the course just whatever, less than 10 years ago and going with ryegrass was it more it was like you said it was just a water sort of driver uh, around that but any other challenges that you had with ryegrass associated with with that or was it that was it just the water use you know see it was funny a lot of times like one of the questions that came up in amongst membership was well why did we use the wrong grass in 2014 right and and you know the answer always was simple it's you didn't use the wrong grass in, in 2014. I mean, that's what everybody thought was the going thing at the time. The water savings is the main driver for this, right? And getting a grass that's more sustainable. Um, we do battle, we're right in gray leaf spot territory up here. Um, and in our year before we did this conversion, we got hit really hard. We, we had a really strange August lightning storm that came through uh, that, that I haven't seen here since since my childhood. And and so that that had to made, you know, that put us back bad. And so we knew kind of going into the next year, we were going to have to be on a strong gray leaf spot uh, program. Uh, and if you can imagine, I mean, that's you're on a, every 14 to 28 day, you know, fungicide program. Um, with the Santa Ana, you're really not, there's almost no disease pressure. I mean, it, it's highly... Um, uh, resistant to, to Bermuda grass decline. 
Um, and, and there's not just a, there's not a lot of disease you really have to deal with. So um, that was another aspect. Uh, and then fertility use is, you know goes down you know, about 25% as well compared to rye. So a lot less inputs you know, for a grass that's really performing well. Chris, for the, the, the whole conversion, other than, you know, fairway number six, what what's the the timing and, and, and what was your course closure? What did that look like? We stayed open during the entire project, um, which was, which was um, you know, which was nice for our members. You know, they, they were able to be out here. So the way we got into this project, so we were doing the clubhouse renovation. And they were thinking they were going to have to club, close a club for six weeks um, to kind of do a bunch of utility work up top. And, and that's, so I went to the club and said, well, if we're going to be closed for six weeks, I mean, that's a six-week jump start on getting this fairway thing done. You guys want to get it done. Let's, let's do it then. Turns out that because we did the project, we were able to leave the club open because we were able to use two fairways as a parking lot since they were going to be renovated. The way it went was holes were down about five to six weeks. We had to do a little bit of irrigation work. We had to replace some irrigation wire. So that was the first step. Kind of took a week to get the irrigation wire all pulled. Then we were blecavating soil prep for another week, kind of sodded in week three. And then we, we took about 14 to 21 days to grow the thing in and open the holes back up. And so we promised the membership uh, when we presented this that um, the goal would be to have three to six holes closed at a time, uh, never dipping below nine. Uh, and we we stayed true on that promise. Every week they'd get it. They'd get an email that said, "Hey, these are the holes that are closed and growing in. These are the holes we're renovating this week. These are the holes. This is your routing." And, and they we we came up with some really good routings um, to get everybody around the course. And then kind of gave a timeline of when the next ones would come on and off. So they were, they were, there was weekly com, uh, communications going out to them. Yeah, that's unique. I mean, the other courses that I've talked to, most of them have closed for significant periods of time. So I think it'd be it's great to hear from you and how successful this was with, number one, keeping the course at least partially open. Number two, holes were only closed for six to eight weeks and in of course, you couldn't do that with sprigging, obviously. The additional cost of the sod was, was well worth it. Yeah, and I, I think in, in timing, too, I mean, to think that Clubhouse is under construction, we are still kind of in that COVID area, you know, so it, it really gave a place for people to go. And I think people were very understanding that we were doing everything we could to keep them going. When you're spraying out, trying to get rid of the, the remnant grasses, did you keep those holes open during that time or was that something that you closed for that process or did you just spray and then start to black yeah <laughs> no that's a good question we um so we have 52 closed days a year here right so it's it's we're closed every monday and if, if it's a monday holiday it's tuesday so no outside events so it gives us these great opportunities to to make applications like that um so we we the product we decided to use was reward um, and we used uh, a surfactant that had um, you know, some ammonium sulfate in it, and then we used a drift retardant. That was sprayed about two weeks before we knew we were going to start blecavating, and it was done on a Monday. You know, as soon as that product's dried, you know, it's it, the, the, the ROI on it is, um, sorry, the reentry interval on it mm-hmm. is, you know, as soon as it's dry. So golfers were able to play it the next day. Um, you know, they were playing a, a fairway that was basically dormant. 
really the, the idea was is we did all we wanted to do is burn down leaf because we wanted the organic material to be blended into our sand cap right so um so yes i mean the, the golf course stayed open after we sprayed they were they were allowed to play for about two weeks until we we started really renovating the hole did you have any other you know crabgrass goosegrass did you have any other weeds that you were concerned about not really in the fairways no um some of the sod came in with some goosegrass and we were on top of that but so okay so you go through the spray process you mentioned blackavating the organic matter in you know i that's a little bit unique too i know some other properties have they had issues with that organic matter right it, it as a layer it created some poor infiltration rate and that sort of thing so some others have decided well gosh we want to get rid of that layer but you did the opposite is brilliant what you did can you describe kind of that process and why you wanted to keep that organic matter basically so you know i mentioned the process we burned down the leaf of, of the ryegrass then we had a flail mower that's kind of a flail and vac went and removed all the leaf matter right so we we took it right down so all you had was the organic matter left we have an eight inch sand cap here um, it's basically beach sand it percolates at 36 inches an hour it's extremely fast for a climate uh, that gets 18 inches of rain a year um so the the the, yeah so i mean it's it's very fast right and so the idea was um we we wanted to use this organic matter blended into the sand uh and we'd actually get you know more water holding capacity capacity more nutrient holding capacity and and we, we could afford to slow down you know to dirty up or slow down the sand cap um the final product is basically like a sandy loam or almost like a 90-10 greens mix. Um, you know, I was, I was joking with Brian when he was out here. I go, this would be the perfect stuff to grow your vegetables in. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a great soil. I mean, we, we were very lucky. And, and it may not be the fit for every club. There's something we said about having a very clean sand cap that you can kind of blend this this product into. You know, we, we'd looked into doing something like a coro and peeling off the top top layer of the organic. Um, unfortunately, I, I inherited a, a pretty thick organic layer. Big fear would have been, okay, well, let's say we take off the top of the organic layer and then we saw it on top of it. I mean, if we were already inheriting this, you know, an organic layer that stayed or didn't get all the way through it, you know, now we've got this gummy thing on top of a really nice sand cap. So it, it kind of, there was a lot of thought that went into it. It was one, we were creating a much better sand cap soil profile that was very consistent and then two we didn't you know having to deal with the off haul of of just peeling off the organic layer would have been a a, you know difficult so this way we're kind of just leaving it all on site and using it it to our advantage what was the speed of the black evader like how many acres a day it sounds like it's a slow process i've never seen one in action but it seems like it's probably time consuming it's slow is is the name of the game um (laughs) It, it's uh, it's it's a long day for the operator. Um, we did two passes because um, we really wanted to make sure we got everything pulverized well uh, and incorporated. Um, so they were getting about an acre and a half a day. I think it took about you know your average par four took about three days or so to to get through. After Chris, after that process, you're left with this. 
I remember walking around out there during construction and you're left with this kind of moonscape of this fluffy soil, which you had to do some regrading and such. What was the, after the Blackervator had completed those two passes, what were the next couple steps to get to the point of final grade? So one of the things we found and also which helped kind of with the ryegrass burn down is that we, um, the Blackervator worked better when we were in dry conditions. Um, so not only did we burn down the fairway, but we shut the water off for two weeks. Um, and then he was, you know, able to grind everything up really well. Um, after that we needed to get it re-wet again so we could start compacting it. And then, so basically we used a a 48 inch, uh, construction roller, uh, the vibrating roller kind of rolled out the fairway and then floated it out, got everything back into shape. Definitely won't need to get it back compacted down because, as you said, it's it's uh, it's pretty fluffy when you're done with the uh, the blackavator. I'm curious now around you know sod versus sprig. Your timeline uh, seems like you know you you were able to hit kind of your targets um, with the sod, but I'm curious if you could dive into sort of the decisions around sodding and sprigging aside from the the timeline and maybe uh you know the 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 cost comparison so at menlo i mean there was quite a bit of construction fatigue around here you know the course was renovated and opened in 2014 uh we had some issues with the renovation um i mean the course i I think i i started getting a reputation being known as a construction superintendent after i got here um we had to kind of redo some bunker surrounds in year one we redid the the driving range and year two and, and had this trial, you know, did a trial on our six fairway. Um, it just seemed like there was always something going on, right? We're building a clubhouse. And and our, our goal here was we wanted to get this project done fast and turn back to the membership, right? You know, to shut the golf course down for a year to, to sprig it just really wasn't, it, was, it wasn't going to go through. Just being able to sod these things, get the holes turned around as fast as we did, really only kind of mess with one season, um, kind of do it under the blanket of the the clubhouse is being reconstructed, really ease the the, the tension and the the you know the feasibility of it. The first year, <clears throat> the Bermuda grass goes in. I mean, it's you know it's going to go at least semi dormant in your area and on this new saw did you go ahead and put pre-emergence herbicides down you know for cool season weed control in the fall or did you hold off the first year nothing went down pre-plant but uh yes we did pre-emerge the the sod after it went in um so we you know it's that kind of that poa seed window of, of april 15th um so we did kind of a split app a barricade where we did one app at the end of august and then another one in December. The one thing we have noticed through this is we really we didn't really have any breakthrough through most of the golf course. We we were very uh, very lucky through this project. But the one thing I, I will say is the third fairway was the last fairway to get done. It got done at that right around that April fifteenth, third week of April timeline. That's the hole where we saw the most breakthrough. And again, when we did that trial on hole number six two years prior. It was sodded at the end of April, or I said, sorry, end of August. Uh, and so those, yeah, the two of them were done at the end of August. And we saw a breakthrough on those two instances. We really didn't see uh, anything. I think there's that correlation of that's just when seed head for the POAs pop in and, and, and got out there. If you were going to recommend 
uh, timing for another property in the Bay Area, what what would you suggest? Kind of when's the drop dead date? It's like, all right, this is the last date I'd really want to sod. You know, I would. I think you're, you know, it takes a season to kind of get this done, but I I I'd, I would definitely be done sodding in August. I even out here on the golf course, if we have to do some patchwork in, in your, you know, from damage or whatever, uh, just when putting it down in, in September, you're just, you don't get that rooting, uh, that you'd like to see. I, I, I definitely would say you'd want to be done, definitely done by the end of August. I mean, it'll, it'll hold on for you later, but it's just a constant battle where you just don't get the rooting that you're looking for. So even those fairways you sodded at the end of August, you were playing on them in three weeks after you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, we actually held our, our club invitational in October of that year. Yeah. So what did that look like from a golf cart standpoint? That's always the, seems like the question that we get a fair amount is when can we get on them? And then when can golf carts get on them? Cause those are two different beasts in a lot of cases. Luckily in our case, we, we, uh, when we opened them, we did open to carts. You know, we have a very small membership. You know, I think the most rounds we've ever done in a year is 24,000 rounds. Uh, probably 50% of our rounds are walkers. We do have a discontinuous cart path. So it's, you know, there is a lot of carts on fairways. But this stuff, the the fertility program we put it on was we pushed them hard to get them to grow in. Um, and they, they stabilized really quick for us. And we were able to get carts out, you know, when, when we opened them. Other clubs in the Bay Area have this real negative mindset of, of Bermuda grass, but in most cases, it's because they have common Bermuda grass, which just does so poorly during the dormant season. Now that you've had the Santa Ana in for a couple of winters, how would you rate the playability and the tolerance to, to traffic during those sort of semi-dormant months? Yeah, during the semi-dormant months. I mean, what what we kind of do is, so during the season, like during the summer and growing season, we're mowing the fairways down at like between 250 and 300. Going into the winter, we raise those heights up to 400, right? So it's uh, basically just trying to put more leaf material on and more surface resistance since the grass won't be growing. The the playability, you know, the, the big scare is everybody says, oh, you're going to shorten up our golf course and, and, and it's going to, you know, it's going to make it not fun or it's going to change the playability. I, I think, you know, I call those or they're kind of like the uh, emotional plea. Um, you know, the golf course is, you just got to figure out how to play the golf course. Right. I mean, if, if, uh, you know, you need to know where your landing zones are and what clubs are going to get you there. Right. And we haven't really seen a lot of that. We do have a few collection areas in the winter months. Um, you know, we've got a couple, couple, our greens, if you haven't been out here, they've, they've got some pretty good false fronts and roll offs. And then like the ninth hole, for example, if you come up short on that hole, there's a good chance you're going to roll down and, and into a collection area. There's about three of those on the golf course. Um, so it's really just knowing where to, to place your ball. Right. But density stays really well. You know, it's, I, I spent some time working in Cabo in the early part of my career, Cabo San Lucas. And over there, the grass goes dormant as well. It just stays green the whole winter. Right. And, and that's really what the, the Santa Ana is doing here is it's off color, but it, there's still some growth there. It's very minimal. So you're not, you're not getting a lot of wear traffic and stuff. I mean, we do put out some wood railings to, to control shady areas. I mean, the, the, the big concern is the shade out here. But other than that, I mean, it, it's, it holds up real well in the, in the winter. Um, kind of your, your trouble area really, or your, or your challenging spot, I should say, is um, basically Christmas to Valentine's Day. 
I've got pictures the last three years in a row, you know, March 5th, take a picture of a divot, the divot's already filling back in. So you're already growing uh, again in the first week of March. You know, one of the biggest concerns I've heard from other neighboring clubs that are considering the same thing, and you already alluded to this, but the is playability and the additional ball roll. And if and some clubs have some pretty steep fairways and they're concerned about the ball sort of rolling off the fairway into the rough or native grass. But you have one of those too in number nine. How have you addressed the concerns there for players basically not being able to hold the fairway? Yeah, I mean, nine, nine was a hot topic <laughs> when we were going through this project. Um, and it's uh, it's one of our few holes where we left a lot of rye rough um, kind of along the left side with that theory of, okay, if it does roll down the hill, um, you'd have something to catch you. Uh, it really hasn't panned out to do that. You know, I think uh, we've, there's enough surface resistance to where the ball you know, isn't just going to come rolling back on you, right? So, you know, the winter months, it's one of the main reasons why we raise the height of cut, just to like really battle against anything like that. Summer, uh, really just, it just hasn't shown out up to be an issue. I mean, there, it, it's funny. There was a lot of a talk about it. It was a, kind of an emotional issue, I think. And we found out that it just hasn't panned out. Uh, to be that way. One thing we we might see is the fairways are playing so firm now is that it might you might bounce and you know get a big bounce that shoots you off into the native rough um, you know uh, which can be a challenge um, especially like actually our tenth hole there's kind of a blind spot we're in the landing zone and if you hit one up there and you bounce um, you know can lead to some issues uh, bouncing out but um, you know the the complaint about the course playing shorter. Does our course play a little bit shorter? Yes, but again, it's all about club selection. Um, it's it's you know it's not like the guys are out there bombing balls and it's setting them up better. I mean, it might even be you know uh, clubbing down to get your spot to the right the right playing zone or landing zone. And then the uh, the playability up around the greens uh, has been a big topic. Uh, people are having a hard time with the short game. We've got a lot of roll offs from our greens, um, but a lot of people found it's putting it is a, is a better shot for them than chipping this grass i actually think gives us a lot more playing options um because you, you can either put it or you can ship it up around a green um get a lot more club selection and one of the comments we also got was that you know the membership always said they like the way the balls sit up on the rye right and so when you you know it's almost like your balls teed up on rye well the santa Ana is so tight that it's like sits on top of the surface in a lot of comments we got early on was well the ball actually sits up on the rye and i think it's just because there's nothing under it they're really kind of coming around on that i think got a lot of feedback from the membership from from people who voted no for this project and came back and just said you know this is the best thing we've done i mean the conditions are just lights out that's really cool to get that kind of feedback from from folks that were not super comfortable with the idea to begin with looking full circle with a, the primary driver being, you know, water, what's the water, you know, changes sort of looked like going from the cool season to uh, warm season in terms of like percent reduction and, you know, is there a dollar amount in terms of cost that you've, you've been able to then reallocate instead of spending on a water, you're, you know, you're able to shift it into other parts of your budget? You know, this is kind of our first full budget year with, with the new grass. So it's exciting. Um, uh, I will say during the grow-in year, we actually saved 10% uh, 
of the of our average that we used on rye, which is pretty amazing for a grow in. Not saying that's going to translate for everybody, because um, drying the golf course down was part of the you know the process for preparing it. Um, this year looks like we're going to bring it in about thirty percent savings over over our rye grass average. Um, now the amount of savings in the Bermuda itself is much greater than that. Um, we're probably closer to like 45 to 50% on the, the Bermuda, but we're very aggressive with it here. We run this place very dry. Um, so that, you know, so it just depends on what, what everybody's comfort level is there. Um, but you only, it ends up kind of getting you a net 30, um, because it doesn't affect any of the areas that you haven't converted. <laughs> Um, so, you know, your green, your greens watering is not going to go down, uh, landscapes aren't going to go down and, and, and then any cool season areas that are left out there aren't going to go down. Right. Um, so, um, right, but right now, I mean, look at, we've got 11 months of our 12 month budget together and we're, we're at a 30% savings. That's phenomenal. Love to hear that. And I think last time I was there, you had at least shared some optimism that, that the club would begin to phase out some of those periphery cool season grass areas is that you still optimistic about that absolutely um i had a really good meeting um with with the kyle phillips guys and, and his assistant mark tholly recently um we're, we're starting to look at these areas and 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 trying to figure out what the fit is is as the project started off there was this real concern like like we said with hole number nine like what's going to happen if a ball comes back and and so we when we started we started on hole number nine and and we weren't as aggressive with uh, with when we were get where we were getting rid of some of these ryegrass rough areas um there was about seven acres of it okay we we eliminated uh four of those acres in this project so now we've kind of got just three left to go we're starting to go around and we're gonna start playing with them though most of them will go to like a, a fine fescue or a native blend and some might be a combination of just expanding fairway and and you know and kind of meeting in the middle with, with the native grasses and the fairways. Well, it sounds like it's been really hugely successful all around. Uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity, I guess, to, if you could reflect back, is there anything you might do differently uh, around this project? One, the irrigation system was very well set up to do a project like this, right? We had lots of ins and outs. Um, and we did a really good job of figuring out, um, where some of the weaknesses were there. Um, but I think there's still a few more areas where we could have added some extra heads or, or an extra block system or something to, to really allow us to um, kind of like tighten up the irrigation where uh, fairways meet native or, or these cool season areas. Um, also, one of the things we kind of did is we knew we had areas where there was going to be shade problems. Uh, you know, for example, like our third tee box is just completely uh covered in trees so that tea is actually seaside bent grass uh which i you know i don't think the average golfer would come out and even know the difference between it being bermuda or bent um there's a few more kind of tie-in areas where i think we could have used um things like that to our advantage um and you know we may do that in the future um but the, those were kind of the two main um two main things that if, you know, if we went back, I, the other thing was just, we probably, as we went in, we got more and more aggressive on changing some of like the, the, uh, very limited rye, uh, rye rough areas, um, 
over to either Native or, or Santa Ana. And I think we, um, you know, some of the holes we did at the beginning, if we had done them at the end, would have looked a little differently. They would have had more Bermuda and more uh, more Native areas. So that's kind of like the next phase is I, I think you come back here in three to five years and you probably won't see one ounce of, of ryegrass on this golf course anymore. That's awesome, Chris. Brian, Chris, really enjoyed talking about the project. It's been cool having you guys on. Can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening to the USGA Green Section podcast. Be sure to subscribe, listen, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also keep up with the latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our digital publication that's published twice a month.